Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to top athletes, coaches, influencers, and minds from around the world of strength sports. Presented by BarBend.com. Today on the Bar Bend Podcast, I'm talking to Liz Adams, a multi-time CrossFit Regionals competitor and longtime coach based out of New York City. Liz's first sports passion was basketball, but after college, she struggled to find an athletic outlet that kept her engaged. So Liz discovered CrossFit around 2012, and soon thereafter, she was coaching and training nearly full-time in pursuit of excellence in the sport. Liz competed for years both as an individual and as a part of some of the Northeast's top CrossFit teams. She also competed for several seasons in the sport of grid. But like many CrossFit athletes, Liz's journey forward hasn't been predictable or necessarily easy. The mental toll of high-level training combined with radical shifts in the CrossFit Games qualification structure recently triggered a period of introspection and self-assessment for Liz. Our conversation here goes deep, and it definitely went in a direction I didn't expect beforehand. I've known Liz for years, and I've always admired her ability to focus and prioritize her energy. What we cover in this conversation is no exception. It's an open and honest look at an athlete choosing to shift their mentality and approach to training, coaching, and life. I really hope you enjoy. And just a quick reminder, if you're enjoying the Barbend podcast, make sure to leave a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. This helps us stay on track in bringing you the best content possible week after week. And if there's someone you'd absolutely love to hear on a future episode, let us know in your podcast review. I personally read each and every review, so your suggestions will be seen. All right, today on the podcast, we have an old friend of mine, Elizabeth Adams. I'm super excited to have her on the show. She's got a very diverse uh athletic background and a lot of really cool new interests and progressions as an athlete and thinker that I'm really excited to dive into. Liz, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Tal. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Liz, I, uh, you know, when I was first, when I first met you, I think it was 2000, 2012, 2013, um, you were a reformed basketball player. Uh, transitioning into competitive CrossFit, if you will. Um, give us a little background on your athletic career pre-CrossFit, which is, you know, I'd say what you're, you're probably best known for online and in the fitness community at this point. Um, you know, I think at a very young age, I just kind of fell in love with playing sports. I'd always played with boys, mainly growing up, and my sister had as well. And, you know, either it was street hockey or kind of touch football in elementary school. And then I kind of found basketball And it was a way for me to, I think it became like an outlet. Not only did I kind of fall in love with athletics and kind of being able to express myself through, um, at the time it was playing basketball. I didn't find any passion in in other things at a young age. Uh, School didn't interest me a ton, but, you know, I wanted to be the first female in the NBA uh, and then I wanted to play for Pat Summit at Tennessee and I'd be in my basement with like gloves on and a visor dribbling two basketballs. Like, oh, I want to be the best. Uh, and I kind of just at, and it, it's fun to be able to reflect back at that mindset in like eighth grade that, you know, I wanted to separate, uh, from people. I wanted to, you know, train 
extra to be better at basketball. And it, I just kind of fell into kind of an, you know, uh, an athlete, I guess, in a sense. And that was kind of a very early focus for me in basketball where I kind of think I struggled with expressing, you know, how I felt and being able to communicate and, you know, dealing with some emotions that, you know, I didn't work with well. Basketball was a place for me to kind of let that all go and kind of just do what came very natural to me in the sense of I could kind of turn my mind off and just kind of be there. And that was my first kind of intro into kind of an athlete mindset, kind of an idea of what a work ethic was, and then the kind of passion that can, you know, drive and motivate. So you played, you played college ball and then a bit. I only played a year in college. I had fallen out of love of uh, (laughs) basketball and kind of was curious about, you know, going to college more. And so, yeah, I played briefly, but when college came around, I knew that I was kind of forcing it Mm. and felt like I should just do it because that's all I ever wanted to do. But then I ended up really disliking it and kind of just walked away and was happy to do so. So, you know, as a, as an athlete who was passionate about, you said, separating yourself and, and, and bettering yourself and trying to become, you know, better than everyone else at a sport. When you, when you lose that, or when you fall out of love with that particular sport, you kind of go through a wandering period, I would think. Is that something you experienced? It's funny you say that because I was thinking about it yesterday. And if you would ask kind of that period of transition, college, and then after college, not having that identity of, or that structure of being an athlete and having a a kind of routine and a a training season and and kind of something to work for. Looking back on that period of my life, which was kind of post-college, trying to figure out what I was going to do, I definitely was kind of wandering. Uh, I had lost, and if you had asked me then, I wouldn't have been able to kind of talk about it this way, but I definitely had kind of lost a sense of who I was and and then who I was supposed to be because it had been such a big part of how I identified. And then I don't think I was kind of looking at it as a, I'm not an athlete anymore. What am I supposed to do? It was more just like, I, I just was kind of in and out going through the motions. And it then wasn't until CrossFit until I think I kind of found myself again, but kind of got stuck in that same place I left off at with basketball and then kind of through my work with Yami, I think I've been able to kind of grow and, and transition and be able to experience being an athlete in a different way and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So let's talk about kind of how you found CrossFit in your early days there, because I know that's, that was a much different, much different lifestyle, much different approach to, to fitness and training than, than where you are now and just a different, very much a different mindset, which I want to talk about later. But how did you find CrossFit? Um, what were those first few, few years like and uh, your early competition? Competition days, kind of how did those unfold? Uh, Jay's one of Jay's football coaches in college. And just also, for context, Jay is your your brother. Jay's my, Jay's my brother. I you know I've trained with him for the last seven years. We competed, and he's the one who introduced me uh, to CrossFit. And in college, one of his football coaches had them in the off season doing some CrossFit training, and he hated it. But he recognized, oh, this is a this is conditioning. Right. And to him, it was like, this is awful because it's not like eating 5,000 calories and doing like power cleans. Um, it was more like burpees and, and all the stuff that, you know, CrossFit is known for. 
Uh, and then, like I said, I was kind of wandering, you know, I was working in finance. I was going to the gym in the basement and not knowing what to do. I wasn't really playing basketball. I'd gotten into an intramural league and I was having a lot of fun with that, but still I, it was the kind of training part that I missed. I think we play games, but it was, I think it was the, the structure, the discipline that I was missing. And I didn't find it in other passions. I didn't find it in my work where people are very find that kind of, uh, kind of mindset in other ways like I hadn't found it at least not at Morgan Stanley (laughs) um so I uh he had had me doing like cleans or like running and I just was like what am I doing like I'm not I again lost and so he was like come check out a class at CrossFit Porchester Maria actually goes to the gym at Union Square now who owns CrossFit Porchester so it's kind of come full circle because I started with her and I never forget, he brought me to a class. It was like a four or five o'clock class. There were pull-ups, there were box jumps. I was wearing like Fordham football shorts, like down past my knees. <laughs> Jordans. I think I had a basketball game after. And like a, uh, like a cutoff tank top and a sports bra. Like kind of similar, but just switched like booty shorts and uh, with the, the Jordan shorts in my CrossFit phase. Uh, and I remember being terrible at the workout. I had to use a green band for pull-ups. I'm pretty sure I like cut reps on every movement because it's like, I'm dying. Why am I? And, but thinking, why am I so bad at this? This is dumb. Like these people aren't athletic. Why aren't I good? And being like annoyed when I walked out, I'd be like, Jay, that's just not for me. But then wanting to go back. And then by the third class, it was like, I'm really annoyed that I'm not good at this, but I want to get good at it. And that was kind of it. I bought a 10 pack to start and then went through it like in two days. Three days. <laughs> Maria was like, you should just buy a month. I was like, fine, sign me up. And she had said to me, I'll never forget it. They had mirrors in their first gym and it was the corner. It was the right hand corner. And I had just finished working out or doing whatever. And I just wanted to do more and more and get better. She had said to me, she was like, you could be a good competitor. Like you could be, re- you could compete and be really good. And I remember her, her saying that. I was like, that's it. This is what I want to do. And, and that's kind of how I fell into CrossFit. And then from there, I realized I would be able to coach and train. But in the beginning, it was all about, I'm an athlete. I need to do what I need to do to train. And I just coach to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So when did you first compete uh, in, when did you first compete in CrossFit? Well, I broke my arm the, my first year of CrossFit. So I would have probably, I would have made regionals that 2012, but during the open, I broke my humerus bone and then was out until 2013. I did, I had surgery in October because we tried to, we, we let it try to heal and then it didn't. And then I ended up having to have a surgery in October uh, and then competed that open made regional. So my first regional was 2013 on a team. Mm-hmm. I was at that regionals actually. I was I was one of the re- I, yeah that was that was at the at the old Reebok HQ. I remember covering that as a writer for yeah. for CrossFit yeah. HQ. <laughs> yeah. um, I also remember a real fond memory of of that is you and Jay had a there was a partner you and your brother Jay had a partner deadlift and box jump workout. Which if you've ever met Jay or Liz Adams, any of the Adams siblings, they're very good at those two movements. And I believe you you all won that. Yeah, uh, that in your was heat. one of like the one of the coolest experiences I've had as an athlete or being able to compete. That's up there. That might be the my best experiences. 
we were we were uh, competing against Dynamics, who everyone had talked about being the best team. They were going to the games and all this. And this workout came out, and it was heavy deadlifts and box jumps. And I, Jay and I partnered up. So to be able to partner with my brother on something like that, and he went first. And I knew that this was like my wheelhouse, that if he, if I had time, like I was going to be the best one out there. And I remember he went first and he was behind dynamics. The dynamics guy just kind of was the best at, at these two movements. So he was first and he was out. Uh, and then I kind of came from behind and I remember Jay on the finish mat kind of cheering me on to go. I've got like chills thinking about it right now. And my sister, uh, Bo, Bobby, I remember them in the stands. Katie had like a yellow sports bra on and just like that moment of like coming from behind winning and then being able to celebrate with, you know, my family and like my family at Fifth Ave was like the coolest thing that I've done. So how many years total did you compete in, in regionals? Rest, rest in peace regionals, by the way. Rest in peace, man. Rest in peace. Uh, 2013, five, uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, six. Okay, six in a row. And, and during that time, you were also competing. You know, you were, you were traveling for some international competitions. You trained in Iceland for a number of years. You, you have a very, very close friendship with a lot of athletes over there. Um, but over the past year, you've been focusing not only on, on your, your life as an athlete and that physical presence, but I know mindset meditation has become a really big part of your life as an athlete and also in your coaching practice. So wanted to chat a little bit about that and how that interest started to develop for you. Yeah, I think it started with this intention of, you know, I, I kind of dedicated and, you know, sacrificed to kind of do what I could in the gym to, to be the best that I could with always the big goal in mind of I'd love to make the games because like I said, from a very young age, I might not have always been the best basketball player, but I always trained uh, like I was. And I always looked to the people that were the best and was like, I want to train with them. And I remember feeling like I just couldn't get out of my own way. Like physically I knew I had a lot of um, capabilities, but when it came to performing, I felt like I was very limited sometimes and, and oftentimes I, I, I just, you know, I felt stuck almost and I, and I couldn't get out of my own way in basketball and, and that's a whole different story. And, and I find Yami had introduced me to, to meditation. And just some background on, on who Yami is just for our listeners who might not know. Yeah. Uh, Yami is my, uh, my coach, uh, my life coach, but started as uh, my CrossFit coach, he runs the training plan blog. He's Annie and, and Bjorkman's coach, a very well-respected kind of coach and programmer throughout kind of the sports community, uh, not just CrossFit in general. But anyways, he's, he's always, I remember he had me walking in the grass barefoot to kind of get my heart rate down. He's always, to me, had these more um, lifestyle approaches and how we can work on lifestyle to then kind of impact our performance in athletics. And the concept always to me, I was drawn to, and I understood a lot of what he was saying and how this could be beneficial, but struggled to like experience how training the mind and all of these um, kind of more, you know, out of the gym headspace stuff can, can, can really uh, kind of shift and transform you as an athlete, but I wasn't experiencing it. And I think I finally had, you know, looked at it as why don't I approach 
you know, training the mind the same way I've approached, you know, going into the gym. I've fallen in love with kind of that work ethic, that process, you know, that kind of discipline. The mind is a muscle. And that's when it kind of clicked. Whereas the mind is a muscle, like treat it the same way or have that same intention. How, how can you be better through training that, you know, training the mind? And what started as like, you know, I was, when I first started to, you know, try to meditate, I always expected something out of it. Like I expected to become a better athlete through sitting. I expected, you know, to become a better person. But when I shifted my kind of approach to the practice to let's just see what happens, like I want to be better. And that then turned into how can I be better for the people around me? I say that's kind of been my biggest kind of shift from a purely hey, I want to be a better athlete so I can make the games. I know like if I can get in touch with what's going on in my head and the distractions when I'm working out, I'll be a better athlete. But I think it's getting into that journey has then totally put aside my any desire to like compete or try to perform in that way, which is kind of crazy uh, shift for me because my whole life has been kind of one way in that way. And when I've thought about eventually having to make a transition, I always, you know, imagined it would be a lot tougher or I, you know, it'd be a struggle or I'd, it'd be hard to walk away, but I had qualified for Iceland uh, to compete. And, you know, Jay and I had talked about not going because wow, had shut down and, and it got a little bit more expensive, but at the end of the day, I, I could afford to go. And Annie and Yami had called me and said, you know, not a ton of girls are here. A lot have already qualified. This is a really good opportunity for you. You've always wanted to make the games. You do it here and, you know, you got the opportunity to do it in Iceland with Yami and Frederick and Annie and Jay. And I just called them back and said, I don't want to do it. And it wasn't, and I'm probably more fit and stronger and, you know, at kind of a peak in my fitness level. And it was easy for me to be just, I just don't want to do it. Like I want to focus more on, you know, how I can work with people and work on myself and kind of continue that uh, kind of journey. That takes an incredible amount of self-awareness to understand that your goals have shifted. And I think... I'm looking at you because you've known me like for seven years and like <laughs> your face right now is like, who the fuck is talking to me? <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting. It's, it, it's good to hear. And I, I get a lot of joy out of hearing it because I see so many people, it could be in athletics, it could be just in life they get stuck and I, I, I fall victim to this myself. We get stuck with goals sure. that we make for ourselves. And we think that because we made the goals for ourselves that we have to accomplish them, that we're letting ourselves down. If we don't continue going after them, can I interrupt you for a second? Oh, please you say that I had a conversation with Yami on Monday and he had said, and, and I spoke to it too. The biggest, you know, what's hard is when you've identified for some with something for so long and then set such big goals and not only, you know, told yourself these goals, but told other people these goals. There's maybe, even without knowing it, there's this, we've got to kind of, if we, we can't break that because we've set this. And then you get stuck to that identity and then it gets really hard to kind of break away. And one thing both Yami and myself had talked about kind of working on is, you know, one, not maybe not announcing big goals, like, you know, keeping that to yourself as opposed to sharing big goals, because something may change where that goal can shift. And then it's a lot easier kind of internally to, to feel less 
kind of pulled to that identity and make a, an adjustment. Whereas if I've announced it to my coach or my brother and my sister and you, you know, I'm going to feel kind of that external pressure <laughs> to, uh, to kind of stick with that goal. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And I, I always grew up hearing and being told in, in school, in training, uh, in competing as an athlete myself, oh, announce your goals, tell everyone your goals, hold, hold yourself accountable. But you end up, and, and sometimes like I see the value in that. And if I hadn't done that when I was like 18, I, I'm sure I would end up in a lot of trouble. <clears throat> but you kind of write this weird contract to yourself. And if you can't change your own mind or embrace your own fluidity as far as goals, as far as growth as a person, it really locks you into a weird place. Right. And I think to speak to that, what mindfulness has helped me with is you talk about how it kind of locks you in because then you're, it's like you're battling with then those emotions that you get wrapped up in, like the stress of feeling like you got to kind of stick with this, the anxiety of thinking, Hey, if I don't do this, you know, what is my coach going to think about me? What is my brother and sister going to think of, you know what I mean? Like my sisters wanted me to stop this shit for a long time. So she's happy. (laughs) 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 Um, but you get kind of locked into it. And then it's really hard to unwrap yourself from or untangle yourself from those like the stress, the anxiety and that pressure. And then you just end up getting, you can't get out of your own way. And I think what's been helpful with mindfulness is being able to create space from those emotions that can kind of lock us in and recognizing, Hey, like, that's just stress. I don't have to jump in with that. Like I, I recognize that for what it is. I can react. I can react more skillfully now. Hmm. I can kind of take a step back. So the biggest kind of change that I've noticed that I'm such a routine structured person and I've operated kind of on the same schedule for seven years, like training at nine 30, 10 first session training at, you know, one second session, seven years, two sessions a day over and over again. And what I've noticed is Things that kind of come up that, hey, I can't make the gym right now. I have a dog now. I should like spend time with him. Like, and not having a total panic attack, not having a total like anxiety ridden. I'm not going to go to the gym. Yesterday, I didn't even work out. And it's just been a very, I feel much more at ease, Um, which I couldn't, I would not have been able to kind of separate and been able to have like an easy transition out of such a structure if I hadn't been able to become more aware and start to kind of work with my emotions better and, and and then not get kind of wrapped up when, you know, it's just been a natural kind of transition. How would you categorize? I mean, I'm I'm sure it's diverse and something you're, you're very much in the process of exploring and will continue to explore. How would you categorize your mindfulness practice now and your meditative practice now? Is it a particular type of meditation? Is it something where you're exploring a lot of different modalities and, and ways of doing that? you're kind of catching me in like a transition in that practice as well. So I, I've only learned through headspace and, and, you know, in and out. And then over the last, I think, you know, it's been like 615 days, just kind of through headspace and then naturally kind of becoming curious through that period of kind of meditating on my own and like doing a couple sessions with headspace and then kind of sitting by myself and that transition to more like, less a headspace, more myself. And then I just kind of stopped doing headspace, which again, like I liked that there's that competitiveness in me where it's like, you get a streak and I got that streak going and I don't want to break the streak. And then one day I just didn't do it. And I was like, I'm still meditating. It doesn't matter that I didn't, that I, I know I had that streak, 
what bothered me, I think what I held on to was other people know I have that now other, you know what I mean? It's so I kind of stopped headspace and, and Yami's introduced me to uh, a woman who does guided meditations. And I've just started that. And a lot of it is, I think, breath work. I don't know, like the technical names of it. But for me, it's been finding just kind of a more gentle approach to myself and learning that through others. Um, and, and being it when we are able to kind of apply that kindness and gentleness, we can start to really let go of a lot of the stuff we were talking about. So that's where I'd say kind of my practices. How has working on your own mindfulness and exploring that impacted um, your performance and, and work as a coach? Or do you think it has? Oh, yeah, definitely. So it's funny to like look back at like, so I've always had strong coaches in my life. My AU basketball coach was, is like a second father figure to me. He kind of taught me that discipline, that work ethic, and maybe like a, a too much of a tough attitude. <laughs> um, but but he kind of, he got, I'm like aggressive and, and, the, and the athlete that I am in the sense of the way I perform through him. And then I met Yami and this kind of progression of more of like a mindful approach to being an athlete and, and then kind of transitioning in, in finding that mindfulness, how, how I embrace more of this role of really just wanting to share with others what I've learned and what's helped me as a person. And then how I've been able to kind of reach my potential in my passions through working on myself. So becoming a better coach, becoming a better athlete through this idea of kind of trying to let go of a lot of uh, the challenges that I, you know, these inner challenges that we all face. And I think what's been most rewarding for me is I've always known that I wanted to work with people, but I never really knew in what capacity. I started working with my basketball coach in college, loved coaching the girls. It was always more of like how can a big sister, like trying to you know, guide them in life, but also, you know, I love being able to teach them how to play basketball and compete and all that stuff. So I think that's what really sparked it without knowing it. And then CrossFit led me into it, but I was an athlete first. And then I think my mindfulness, I've discovered the passion in me to just, you know, as a coach, as a mentor, hopefully one day to be like a mentor that, you know, to someone as Yami has been to me. And, and help some, you know, growth with people and stuff like that. So on that, on that coaching realm, and, and as I've known you, I know I've seen your approach as an athlete evolve. Um, but really, I think the growth that I've seen that's been just most impressive from you. And every time I see you working with an athlete or with a client, it just blows my mind that what you're incorporating is on the coaching front. What are your goals not to not to create these things that that lock you in like we were just talking about but what are some what are some things that you would like to um you know accomplish or incorporate or learn or practice as a coach you know in the near future and then a little bit down the road you could see yourself also working on now like as you know i coach crossfit classes but have transitioned a lot more into kind of personal training and then eventually you know, incorporating this kind of mindfulness practice with my clients. But in terms of kind of my intention as, as a coach, when, you know, someone would come into my class, it, every day I think there's an opportunity for us to be better. And I think, you know, when I say that to, to clients in the gym and the members in our class, 
oftentimes it may be interpreted as these big goals. Like I got to hit a PR to show that I've gotten better. I've got to, you know, do better than this person to prove that I, you know, I'm fitter. It's very quantitative. It's like numbers. And what, what I would, what I want to, you know, try to, uh, get across or for those that kind of are open to it in exploring this idea of it's in the little things that we can do. And if we can focus on like a small decision each day and it starts in the gym, that's my space. So how can I get people to start exploring like a small decision in a workout that could then, you know, play a big role in outside of their life. Something as little as, Hey, there's five seconds left. I've got two toes of the bar left and then I got to run to the bar and, and I got to start some thrusters. I mean, I know I'm not going to finish the thrusters. I may not even get to the bar. So I can either finish the two toes of the bar and, you know, walk over the bar. I know the clock's going to run out and up uh, didn't get there. Cause there wasn't that much time or, Hey, I know I only have five seconds. It's going to be hard. I want to try and push myself. Let me get one rep in the intention of in a little decision, how kind of, that can train a mindset that can create like a lot of big things outside of the gym to build self-confidence, to build, you know, this, you know, attitude of, of wanting to be better and looking for small things in our days each, you know, to, to make a, a small decision. Like for me, I've found it's in those little things. And the more that I do it, the more that I think I'm in a better position to, to help people understand how themselves, how it can help, you know, themselves and when they do it. And then in, you know, the people around them. If Liz Adams in 2019, the coach could talk to Liz Adams in say 2014, the coach, what is one, one thing you might tell yourself if you could go back in time? It's kind of a useless exercise, but it's always an interesting, interesting thing to think about. Uh, I think, you know, there's this, someone asked me like, what's, what's the best piece of advice someone has given me recently? And I think this will speak to that is, or the best piece of guidance, how how do I need to be to allow others to be who they are? And as a coach, I think, you know, back in 2014, my biggest issue was I had expectations of clients. I expected them to be me in a sense. I expected them to be able to work out like me or want to work out like me or have the same mindset of me or has the same discipline of me and found myself you know, not being a good coach in situations where those expectations weren't met. And so this idea of, I have to be, everyone here is, is I have to allow them to be who they are. How do I need to be as a coach to let them do that in order to kind of help them? And kind of being kind (laughs) 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 and patient, but letting go of those expectations. And, uh, and again, that's all how I've been able to work on myself, being able to kind of shed that and, and have then been able to step up as, as a much better coach. Fantastic. Well, Liz, I, I, I know that, uh, you speaking of coaching, I know that you're actually heading to <laughs> heading I to am. that a- shortly after this, uh, this interview, but I, I did want to, before we parted ways, I did want to ask where can folks, um, follow along, uh, follow along with your journey as a coach, as an athlete and, uh, learn more about you. What's the best way to do that? I'm on Instagram. Uh, I will admit I have in this whole journey, this idea of being distracted and and kind of, you know, living in a world of Instagram and social media. I do find a part of me like being more curious about kind of stepping back from it and, and, and stepping out of that kind of world, but also then understanding 
the other aspect and business side. And, but I am on Instagram. Uh, I think that would probably be the best way. Uh, email. Should I say those things? Uh, well, yeah. Give, give, give your Instagram handle. Liz Adams 21. Um, and then the link and stuff is in my bio and whatnot. Perfect. Well, Liz. I dog pics now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, that's like that's an added bonus because it previously right. it was as a coach, as an athlete, and now you get to look at do- a dog too. So, yeah, exactly. One one stop shop. Um, Liz, thank you so much for joining, and I really, really appreciate you uh, being so willing to kind of go into a journey that's very much in process, especially with mindset. So, um, yeah, no, that's I think what it's all about is just kind of falling in love with that process and, and finding your process that we have that we have the title of the podcast falling in love with uh with your process that's it awesome Liz. thanks so much Bye, Cal. thank you so much